This is London's St. Pancras International, a giant railway station with a cavernous vaulted roof. It's where trains depart for continental Europe. Late afternoon, you'll find a cross-section of Europeans milling about, waiting for trains or, yes, playing an available upright piano in the center of the concourse. I asked them about the role of the U.S. president, too. I think the president has to put some confidence onto the people that are working with the economy. Maria Moraes is a lawyer from Lisbon. The financial markets and the companies, and they, they have to tackle unemployment. But the main thing for now is to put the, the accounts in order and then to create jobs, and we'll pick it up from there. I believe that's the leverage we need. Lucy Terrer is French and even dragging a suitcase. She's chic and well-turned out. She's a personal shopper at the Galerie Lafayette, the famous department store in Paris. It's also said that the United States is the world's biggest economic superpower. It used to be. It used to be. Mm. It used to be not anymore. Uh, now we'll say it's more China, it's more Brazilian, it's uh, Russia. She wasn't alone. Oliver Woolard works in finance in London. He had this take. I think that the president doesn't have as much effect on the economy as he'd like to think he is. I think it's the other way around. The economy runs the, runs the presidency. So I think he's a slave to the economy rather than the other way around. Now, I doubt any incumbent president would agree with that observation. The last person I spoke with at St. Pancras was Martin Ehrman. He's German and studied at Harvard. Today, he's a journalist in the UK and also part of the media team for Occupy London, a group similar to Occupy Wall Street. For him, the idea that Americans can intervene and fix things is precisely the problem. I think Europeans, by and large, have been very skeptical of attempts you know, by Americans to, to intervene here. Europeans would say, listen, these are our problems. A lot of them might have started in the U.S., but isn't that precisely the reason why we should not listen to you, right? First, you know, you have this whole crisis that starts, in a way, on the ground in New York City, that starts with the American mortgage crisis, that starts with the housing bubble. And then, you know, you bail out your banks, you get your econ economy under control, and all of a sudden you think, you know, those same people who were in power five or ten years ago are now in a position to tell us what to do, right? That doesn't mean that European leaders are in a better position, but you're responsible, right? You're responsible and you're not in the position to offer us the advice that we need, right? You are the doctors who fail to treat the patient in the U.S. Why should you do any better on the European patient? It's funny. I uh, just spoke with a lovely French woman downstairs who was going back to Paris. She's a personal shopper. She's wearing a pink fur coat. And she said something quite similar to what you were just saying in her own way, that the U.S. time at the top, it's over. We don't look to the U.S. anymore. We look to the BRICS, you know, Brazil, Russia, India, China. I mean, is that where Europe is looking now? the kind of American model of writing constitutions and writing economic policy is not necessarily the model that a lot of countries are now following. You know, and I realize that's a very touchy subject in the U.S. where people were bickering and fighting over whether the U.S. is in decline or not. But, you know, I think that's a fairly factual realization that there's a lot of things going on in the world that are not influenced and not driven and not led by the United States. And to me, it seems like the, na the natural reaction to that kind of world order to me would be to, to embrace it and try to find your role within it, instead of saying, if we're not leading you, you know, good luck. Good luck, you're on your own.